of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. One Sunday morning at a small southern church, the new pastor called on one of his older deacons to lead in the opening prayer. The deacon stood up, bowed his head, and said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. The pastor opened one eye and wondered where this was going. The deacon continued, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was totally perplexed. The deacon continued, Lord, I ain't too crazy about playing. Things come up that we don't like whenever we don't understand what you're doing. And we need to wait and see what you're making. After you get through mixing and baking, I'll probably... It'll probably be something even better than biscuits. And then he said, Amen. Aren't you glad that God's ways are higher than our ways? Aren't you glad today that sometimes when we don't understand, God's up to wonderful things? And I believe with all my heart, God is up to something good in this house today. I want to first read my text, and then I'll explain to you what the Lord has laid upon my heart for this Easter Sunday morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let's pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege you've given to us to celebrate the resurrection of your Son, our Savior. And all that that means to us, we just rejoice today. Our hearts are full of praise and worship for you and for our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we ask that you would bless us to understand and see this Scripture uh, in a deeper and more clear way than ever before. And may it change our lives. This is our prayer of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. The message God has laid on my heart for today is entitled, Vessels of Honor. And to me, this is without a doubt one of the great passages of Scripture to be found in the New Testament. If you came to church this morning looking for hope, looking for help, looking for encouragement, looking for some truth that might somehow help you in your life right now, maybe help you take the next step, move to the next level. And I want to encourage you right off the bat and tell you 
that you can find that in this passage of Scripture that I've just read to you. Basically, what we learn from this passage of Scripture is in a great house, there, there are vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay. And we're told that some of those vessels are used for uh, honor and some of those vessels are used for dishonor. And then the great apostle Paul, now remember, he was writing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He wrote these words. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will become a vessel of honor. He was letting us know that someone who has been a vessel of dishonor, and, and I looked the word up in the Greek, and it means disgrace or shameful or embarrassing activity. Someone who has been a vessel of dishonor can become a vessel of honor, valuable, precious, beautiful, and useful in the master's service. Now what Paul does is he doesn't just tell us that that can happen. He lets us know that the transition between dishonor and honor takes place when we are willing to cleanse ourselves. That's what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. Now, friends, let me just stop right here for a moment and let you know that on this Easter Sunday morning, you are listening to a preacher who believes that uh, remission, forgiveness, salvation, and cleansing come only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that old song that we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I believe that with all my heart, as you do. And yet, here is a passage in the Bible that says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. Now, you, you might think, as I did early on when I first started reading this, maybe, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe something is lost in translation. Maybe something somehow, some way was added to the text that should never have been there. Surely this cannot mean what it says. It has to mean something else. Is, is, that, even, is that even possible? Is it even possible for us to cleanse ourselves? Well, when I started doing some research, I found out that if it was indeed a mistake, it was a mistake that was repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. 1 John 3.3 says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. I, I really like this one because it tells us how to do it. Purifies your souls. James 4.8 says, Cleanse your hands. Who's he talking to? You sinners. Or should I say, all of us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. 
Now, there are other scriptures in the New Testament, and these echo the teachings of the Old Testament. Isaiah 1.16 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. These, these are amazing scriptures, and there are many of them to be found in the Bible. So what do we make of them? And how do we fit this truth into our theology that forgiveness comes only through the blood of Jesus and cleansing and purification comes only through the blood of Jesus? What do we make of this? How do we reconcile it? Well, friends, when we begin that process, here's what we find. We find something wonderful. We find something life-changing. We find something glorious. We find something that brings the glorious power of God into our lives and activates something divine. And I'm not exaggerating. Let me see if this will help you. I want to give you four things, and I want to see if you know what all four of these things have in common. Now, this is elementary. It's not hard. But I'll give you four things. Just see if you can identify what these four things have in common. A guitar without strings. A light bulb without electricity. A gun without a firing pin. And a car without gas. Obviously, you already know the answer. They're all missing the one key element, the one key component necessary to make them fulfill what they were designed for. You see, friends, a guitar without strings makes no music. A light bulb without electricity gives no light. A gun without a firing pin has no power. And a car without gas is going nowhere. Now, I always fear when I use an illustration. I just know somebody's going to come up to me and say, I've got a guitar that doesn't have strings and it makes music. Or, or I've got a light bulb and, and it runs off something other than electricity. And we'll, we'll forget about all that and just go with me on this illustration, okay? All right. You, you see, these guitars on stage will make no music without their strings. And these lights will not give, uh, these light bulbs will not give us light without electricity. I, I, it won't. And I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. My guns are no good without a firing pin. And, and if you run out of gas in the parking lot, you're not going anywhere until you get some more gas. Unless somebody hooks, you know, drags you home or something. I guess that's possible. But what I want to ask you today is, could it be possible that much of our teaching and much of our preaching and much of what we're singing about and much of what we're communicating today is all well and good, but is it possible that it's missing the one key element necessary to make our faith work? Could it be? I'm just asking. Don't get mad with me. I'm just trying to stir you up a little bit this morning. Could it be that the reason so many people today are living lives that make no music, shine no light, have no power, and are going nowhere is because they're missing the one thing necessary to make it all happen? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. And I believe in our text today that one missing element is revealed. And I can give you that one element in one word. 
That one missing component in one word. But I must warn you first. It's a word you're not going to like. It's a word we don't like to talk about. It's, it's a word that we shun in our day and time. Here it is. Responsibility. I knew you were not going to like that. <laughs> I always want to preach on Easter something people really like. But the Lord put this on my heart. Responsibility. Responsibility for the mistakes of the past and responsibility to take action and make corrections in your life right now. I believe that, according to our text, is the one missing element. Some, somebody took this picture of some graffiti on the wall. I couldn't help but laugh when I saw this. Look at this. It's not my fault. I never learned to accept responsibility. Does that pretty much describe our generation? It's not my fault. I, yeah, I never learned to take responsibility. When my son was young, I, I, he, he, that was his favorite word. It wasn't my fault. I, so help me. I remember one day, my wife said, I want you to go to the store. And I was getting ready to leave. And, and she said, why don't you see if Kyle wants to go with you? He was just a little boy. He was back in his room. And I said, Kyle! And I heard him say, it's not my fault. I said, I just want to know if you want to go to the store with me. He said, yes, I'm coming. We stay in denial most of the time. This thing of personal responsibility is one of the major themes of the Bible. And yet we pretty much ignore it. But the Bible repeatedly speaks to us and calls us to a place of personal responsibility, personal action, doing something for yourself, being proactive over and over in the Scriptures. And we just have a way of missing it all. Friends, I stand before you today to tell you that our Bible does not teach a passive, do-nothing, sit-back-and-wait Christianity. Amen. It doesn't do that. Our Bible teaches us that we have responsibilities. Now, I know that, that there are times in the Bible when we're told to wait on the Lord, but we're never told to wait in relationship to our personal relationship to the Lord. We're taught to be aggressive. We're taught to seek and to search and to knock and to obey and to be aggressive in our walk with the Lord and to do whatever it takes to draw close to Him. We're taught in the Bible that we're to be heavily involved in self-cleansing, self-purification, self-discipline, self-commitment, washing our own hands, cleansing our own hearts. 
Friends, the truth today, the whole truth is this. Yes, God loves you. Yes, He wants to wash you in the blood of the Lamb. And yes, He wants to make you a vessel of honor. And yes, He wants to do something grand and good and glorious in your life. But the whole truth is this. God will not do it until you're ready to take personal responsibility. And the Bible does not teach. The Bible does not teach a you do nothing and God does everything for you. Christianity. It just, it doesn't. And, and we need to hear this today. I, I memorized this little poem many, many years ago. It's just called A Little Rhyme and a Little Reason. It says if a man would be a soldier, he'd expect, of course, to fight. And he couldn't be an author if he didn't try to write. And if a man would be a hunter, he must go among the trees, the trees, the trees, and trees, and, trees, and he couldn't be if, and he couldn't be a sailor to sail the seas. So it isn't common logic; doesn't have a real true ring that a man to be a Christian doesn't have to do a thing. But that's what some of our preaching today sounds like. That you just don't have to do anything. This is just what God does. Now, now, I hope I won't be misinterpreted today, friends. But I, I don't believe we can just segregate one portion of Scripture and study it and ignore what the whole Bible says. You you see, the Bible teaches us personal responsibility. And I believe that if you ignore personal responsibility, you alienate yourself and distance yourself from a God who wants to bless you supernaturally. You see, more and more today, I'm seeing people... Really, I'm not making this up. I'm seeing people who want God to help them, but they're not willing to do one thing to help themselves. They want the hand of God at work in their lives, but they're not willing to put their hand to work in their own lives. I believe it was uh, Jack Hayford who said what a lot of people want is deliverance when what they really need is discipline. That we need discipline. And that you can't have deliverance without discipline. Uh, Let me share with you a story that I've shared for many years. A farmer was working in a large and beautiful vegetable garden when the preacher dropped by to speak with him one day. The preacher was amazed at how beautiful and manicured the garden was. Not a blade of grass could be seen in the garden. The rows were in perfect order. The plants were healthy and full. Tomatoes and squash and okra and corn and peas and other vegetables. The preacher said... Oh, my goodness, God has truly blessed you with a beautiful and fruitful garden. And the farmer turned to the preacher and said, You should have seen it when God had it all by himself. (laughs) Now, Now, I honestly remember when I first heard that and I was offended. There was something about my spiritual pride that that offended It went against my teaching. But the more I thought about that, the more I realized that they were both correct. The preacher was right. God had blessed him with a beautiful garden. Without God's miraculous creation, without God's miraculous design of how nature works, he could have never done that on his own. God blessed him. But the preacher was right too. And that is, 
that God would never have done all that had he not been willing to get out there and do the hard work of preparing the ground and getting himself ready for the blessing that God wanted to give him. I, I, I just tell you, friends, more and more I'm seeing people today who want God to help them. They want God to rescue them. They want God to deliver them. They want God to set them free from whatever it is that holds them. They want God to get involved in their lives. They want God to somehow take them to another level. But they're not willing to do anything about it. They're not willing to work. And, and friends, I've just got to tell you, at the risk of insulting some people here today, and, and especially some of our theological beliefs, that's just not how God works. It is not how He works. Sometimes we pray and pray and pray and we're waiting for God to do something and I'm convinced that God is watching and watching and waiting for us to do something. I think sometimes we think the ball is in His court when in reality the ball is in our court and we can keep waiting but nothing will happen. Now, if you doubt what I'm saying this morning, and I can understand why you might doubt it, because we've been saturated with the preaching that God does it all. It was none of me. It was all of Him. We didn't do anything. Uh, God did it, and, and sometimes we miscommunicate. But I, I can tell you, friends, that if you believe I'm off course today, then I've got some challenge, challenges for you. Try, try this. Ask God to help you lose weight. But refuse to go on a diet. <laughs> try that one. See how that works out for you. I mean really pray. I mean use the best prayer language you've got. Spend hours in prayer every day. Ask God, oh God, I want you to help me lose weight. And, and just to prove that it's all of you and none of me, I, I'm going to refuse to go on a diet or start eating healthy. Uh, weigh every day. Every time you lose five pounds, send me a text. I want to rejoice with you. I want to see how this goes for you. It won't work. It won't work. In fact, the only way I can think that it might work, you wouldn't want it to work that way. Because you wouldn't be healthy anymore. Try, try this one. Ask God to help you get in shape, but refuse to exercise. Yeah? Pray hard every day. Pull your shirt off and stand in front of the mirror. And, <laughs> you know. Take a picture of yourself every day. Let's see how this thing... Let's see. Send me a picture every now and then. I mean, just envision muscles. Won't work, friend. But by the way, you... You young guys in the church who want a girlfriend, a beautiful wife, man, take your prayer life to a new level. Ask God to help you have a girlfriend that will one day become a godly wife but refuse to brush your teeth <laughs> or comb your hair or take a bath. Or dress up and look nice. Or how about this? Or 
or even speak to a girl. I can tell you something, friends. You can pray all day long, but it won't work if you're not willing to be vested in what you're praying about. If you're not willing to get involved in it, it will not work. I'm not trying today for a moment to diminish the power of prayer or of faith, but I am trying to tell you this, friends. You and I should embrace what the entire Bible says, not just what part of the Bible says. And the Bible says clearly in the book of James, it says, faith without works is dead. That's what it says. And I stand before you this morning to tell you on this wonderful, wonderful, glorious Easter morning service that, friends, you can pray and pray and pray and exercise all the faith. Well, it's really not faith, not real biblical faith, but what we call faith, you can do all of that you want to do. But if there is not in your life some corresponding action and work accompanied with that, then it's dead praying and it's dead faith. And I'm preaching this because I want you to understand that God is anxious to do something wonderful and glorious and powerful and miraculous in your life. But we're missing what the Bible says. You you see, friends, you can pray all day long, every day, and ask God to teach you the Bible. But if you refuse to come to a Bible study class, if you refuse to let somebody teach you the Bible who knows more than you, I doubt very seriously it'll work. And and let's go back to our text. You can pray every day. All day long. Oh God, I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of integrity. I want to be a vessel that's fit for the Master's use. I want you to use me, oh God. You can pray that as long as you want to pray it. But if you are not willing to cleanse yourself and to separate yourself from that which is dishonorable, I can tell you, you will never be a vessel of honor. You you see, I, I think what I'm sharing with you today might just create a an explosion within us. It might bring us to critical mass. Because most of us, we've got the theology, we've got the details, but what we've done is somehow conveniently, probably with the help of the enemy, we've disassociated ourselves with any personal responsibility and we're waiting for God to do something that He's never going to do. Now, let me give you the, the bad news, good news. Here it is. The bad news is... You can't do it. The Bible's a strange book. Why would the Bible tell us to do something? You can't do it. You can't cleanse your own heart. You can't purify your own soul. You cannot make yourself a vessel of honor. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. So why would the Bible tell us to do it? Because God is not going to get involved in your life and bring the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ into your life until you're willing to step out on faith and do something that you can't do. 
Until you're willing to attempt something that you already know you can't do, but you've got faith in God that the moment you step out on faith, the moment you go to work, the moment you say, God, I know I can't do this, but your Bible teaches it, and I'm going to do it, and the moment you step out on faith and go to work, guess what happens? God goes to work in your life. God goes to work in your life. And the end result is you do what you can't do. You do what you can't do on your, on your own. You do what only a man can do when the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous hand of God is involved in your life. That's what happens. Oh, friends. The bottom line is this. And that is, God will not do what He wants to do in your life until you're willing to do it. Hey, I've got to share this with you. This is like the greatest illustration you'll ever hear. I want to show you a picture of a woman who was arrested. Here she is right here. Now, by the way, I got her permission to share this, so don't get nervous. She, She was arrested. These are her words, and I'm using her words now. She sent this to me this past week. As far back as I can remember, I never felt I really fit in. Seeking attention from everyone... I came in contact with, if I, couldn't, if I couldn't get attention in a good way, I would seek it in a bad way. My drug abuse began at the age of 14. By 17, I was pregnant and married. Shortly after I had my daughter, my husband was killed in a car accident. At that time, my drug addiction began to get worse and worse. Two and a half years later, I married one of the largest drug dealers in my town. In and out of incarceration, mental institutions, and every drug treatment center I could find, I still couldn't get help. I moved to Daytona Beach for a geographical change and greatly desired to start my life over, but before I knew it, I was working in strip clubs and escort companies. I continued to spiral out of control, and I became homeless, sleeping under the bridge and eating out of dumpsters, selling my body to support my addiction, doing whatever it took for my next hit of crack or any other drug I could get my hands on. Raped, beaten, and abused on a daily basis, I felt hopeless and cried out to God, I cried out to him. I told him that I just couldn't take it anymore. Shortly after, I was, shortly after that, I was arrested with five new felonies, this time making myself a 46-time felon. Screaming, hitting, spitting, cursing, I was placed into solitary confinement in a straitjacket. Again, I began to cry out to the Lord, having said the salvation prayer hundreds of times, but not knowing how to truly surrender. I began to talk to the Lord and said, God, if you really love me and and you will do what your word says you can do, if you will deliver me from all of this bondage and teach me how to live for you, I will lay my life down and spend the rest of my life helping others do the same. My life transformed. Love came down and rescued me, and I received a blood transfusion straight from Jesus. 
From that moment on, everything began to change as my hardened heart had been replaced with Jesus' heart of flesh. I continued my prison sentence ministering to other women like myself and God gave me a vision of having a home for women like me to share with others His healing power and how He had healed me of all my diseases and how He had healed me of all my broken places and how He had given me the power of His restoration. This is a picture of her today. Her name is Dawn. She said, I left prison with my mind made up. I think this is the key statement in her whole testimony. I left prison with my mind made up and determined to run with the vision God had birthed on the inside of me. Within nine months, I started my first home in Panacea, Florida. And now have had the opportunity to start five ministry homes. I graduated 12-1-2015 with a Ph.D. in biblical counseling and now have started Bible colleges in the prison system throughout Florida and Indiana. I am now the pastor of Death Row in Florida, which we now call Life Row. God is doing miraculous things in my life. And listen to this. And next week, literally next week, this coming week, Next week alone, I will be flown to Texas to speak in over 17 different prisons all over the state of Texas. What an honor to share the love of Jesus and His great message of resurrection power. Wow. Now here's, here's what you'll love. Some of you may not be aware of this. This church supports that woman. Not a lot. We send her $300 a month. Other churches are doing the same. We're helping her. That's what you were talking about earlier, Derek. We're giving money so that we can help people carry the gospel. And and we support her. And, And some other good news, before this year is out, she will be a guest speaker in this church and you'll get to hear her. And we're looking forward to that. But the reason I have shared her story with you this morning is because she went from being a vessel of dishonor to being a vessel of honor, being used greatly for the Lord. Oh, friends, that would not have happened in her life had she not been willing. If she had sat back and waited for God to do it all, That would not have happened. She had to be willing to cleanse her own heart, to purify her own soul, to wash her own hands, to separate herself from those things which are dishonorable. She had to do the hard work of discipline and commitment. But I'm telling you that she's no different from any of us. The moment we step out on faith and our faith becomes real faith and we're willing to attempt what we know we cannot do on our own, a miraculous and mighty God will step into the picture and He will begin to anoint and lead and guide and perform miracles and do what He alone can do. And I can already tell you right now, I can already tell you right now, when Don comes to this church and speaks, you will never hear her one time say, look what I've done. She'll say, look what God did. But I want you to know that God would not have done any of that had she not been willing to do the hard work of commitment and discipline. Uh, listen, 
one more time. Therefore, if anyone, I, I like the simplicity of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone, you and I all fit in that category, don't we? Therefore, if anyone will cleanse himself from the latter, and that latter being a vessel of dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified for the master's, for the, uh, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, the old-time preachers used to say it. I wish we could get some of that terminology of the old-time preachers back. Here's what the old-time preachers used to say. If you'll take one step toward God, He'll take two steps toward you. That's what they used to say. Here's what I want you to know. God wants you to be a vessel of honor. God wants to do something good in your life. God wants to do something glorious in your life. But God will not do it until you're ready to step out on faith, until you're ready to go to work, until you're ready to do the work of self-discipline and self-commitment. You say, well, pastor, what does that look like? I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's Easter Sunday morning, and I know we've got busy days, but I'll tell you what it looks like. This is what it looks like. It looks like you joining this church, saying, you know what? I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to join this church. And by the way, if not this church, maybe you go somewhere else. Go join a church. And if you're already a member of a church, but you're not active, get active in that church. It means you make some decisions. It means you do something. It means you get proactive. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to take one step toward God? It means that maybe there's some habit in your life and you've been battling that habit and you're going to step out by faith. Maybe you've even tried before and you can't get rid of it. But this time, you're going to step out knowing that God is going to meet you. And you might even have to get radical in your discipline and in your commitment. It means getting involved in a Bible study class. It, it, it means doing what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But here's what I'm going to tell you, friends. I don't have any more confidence in you than you have in me. We, we all have feet of clay. We're all weak. We all make mistakes. But I have confidence in the Word of God that if we will cleanse ourselves, if we will begin the work, the discipline, the commitment of cleansing ourselves, God will do a mighty work within our hearts. Would you bow with me in prayer? And I'm going to ask, if, if at all possible, for you not to get up and leave. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.